Welcome back to God's Brand. It's your host, Puzzle Making Poe. And you guys know what it is. You know what we're doing. We're at the Grown Man's Book Club. And you're on the network. And we're on page one. Let's see where we ended off at. Alright, we're at the last paragraph on 118. And if you don't know where we're at or what we're doing... We are taking a break really quick before I start and going to read about the city of Tulsa back in 1921. If you haven't tuned in for any of our other chapters, what the hell is wrong with you? Because this book has been quite honestly a blessing and a curse at the same time. It's been a blessing to learn the truth of all this. It's been a curse to know that it's a burden on my shoulders now because I'm not going to forget any of this. This is engraved, honestly, and it's engraving as we speak. So before we start, I got to let my puppy in because it's like negative 30 outside, it feels like. So I'm going to make sure that my puppy gets warm before we start reading here. Alrighty, Gigi's with us now. Alrighty. So starting off the page of bottom 118... We're, by the way, chapter 10, it must, it must not be again. Sorry about that, y'all. I'm just trying to grab a sip of my coffee before we get going. So before, before I start, I just want to say one more thing. I've been really emotional about this book. It's been, honestly, it's just been a painful read for me. It's touched on Native Americans, women rights, the corporate monsters, the real estate industry, all the way down to our court systems with the jury and the Ku Klux Klan. So it's been very emotional for me. And without further ado, we're just going to get through it without being emotional. We're going to do our best. So, 
Last paragraph, page 118. Robinson then ordered Freeling to take over a Tulsa County bank robbery case that Serling was not prosecuting to the satisfaction of the Oklahoma Bankers Association. The three men charged with holding up a bank at Sperry, a small town north of Tulsa, admitted guilt but claimed that they had not been but they had been talked into the heist by the state's star witness, a man named Saunders, who had been recruited by Oklahoma City's chief of detectives to infiltrate the gang. Three separate trials, more entertaining than suspenseful, were jazzed up by such dramatic touches as the courtrooms arrested the two suspect conspirators. In the robbery, spectators Rowley cheered the outlaws and a witness sending a defense lawyer through the glass pane. Against this backdrop, Freeling trotted Van Vulen's ongoing investigation of crime in Tulsa and Tulsa County and promised a thorough, a thorough cleanup. During this closet arrangement for the first Sperry bank robbery trial, Freeling told the judge no longer will place Cutler up Tulsa County. Places where booze runs like water, where robber gangs gather up and plan right at the doors of your home, and for the nefarious business, I'm going to see that there is something done to stop it. I want to ser- notice. I want to serve notice on the lawless element of this county, that no longer will they have a place to gather and plan. Tulsa County is going to be cleaned up. No longer. Not if I can help it. Will Tulsa County be a gathering place for crooks? Not only from all over the state, but the Union. Meanwhile, on April 3rd, Serving's investigation, F.B. Bays arrested a taxi driver and a small-time scammer named Calvin O'Brady. Brady, no relations to Tate Brady, was charged with being part of an auto theft ring preying on the area. Chief Guston throughout tried to get Brady released, claiming that he had been doing undercover work for the police. Bays was outraged. The ring Brady worked for Brady, for, wait, wait for Bays, said was led by none other than the head of the TPD auto detail, Bay Ward, and included several officers as well as Ward's son, Buck, who had a reputation for boosting automobiles. Bay claimed that some of the schemes involved not only stealing and selling cars, but recovering them for reward money. Ward denied the allegations, but by the end of the second Spurry Bank robbery trial in early April, Freeling was ready to to pursue those charges against others and Tulsa Police Department, as well as the City Commission and possibly Sheriff McCoolian. 
McCoolin thought he himself claimed the interest. Freeling was being trotted as a candidate date for governor in 1922. In early May, he was introduced at a meeting on the state Hereford Association. As the next governor of Oklahoma, the world on April 15th said Freeling's investigation of local officials was being conducted in a bad faith and for mere partial purpose and fractional advantage. The paper was more pointed a month later when it charged that Freeling, Van Vulen, Richard Lloyd Jones, and other were part of a cabal in which intruded personal and selfish ambitions to realize their aims throughout ways that are dark and tricky that are vain. Freeling, it was true, did belong to the democratic machine that had ruled since statehood. While Tulsa remained one of the few places of Republican refuge, policies almost certainly influenced him, but the world had hardly a disinterested bystander in this matter. It was by large a Republican paper and a supporter of the Evans administration, largely on, largely on T.D. Evans' pro- promise to put throughout the Sparvin water bonds. Certainly there was some justification for Freeling's apparent fixation on Tulsa. Gambling, alcohol, and prostitution had operated with little to no impudence since the city's earlier days. But whether Tulsa was worse than Oklahoma City or many another place in the state is deliberately some of the oil boom towns were squalid. Violent places straight out of the Wild West and the state capital had its own problems with vice, corruption, and scandal. In any event, Freeling committed a good deed in the office's limited resource to investigate Tulsa and kept Van Vulen in town off and on for months interviewing informants and complying a dozer said to run more than 100 pages fantastic fantasizing and now largely forgotten Catherine Van Vulen was a steely petite single mother said to be the country's first female assistant attorney general at the time when few women entered law or professional profession of any kind, born Catherine Nerdley in Fort Smith, Arkansas, probably in 1888. That's three eights, by the way. She seems important to me. Um, various sources also list 1882, 1883, and 1892. Van Leuven was described by a daily Oklahoma reporter, Edith Johnson, as a just-too-cute-for-words type. 
not much bigger than a minute. She married attorney Bert Van Vulen in 1905 and gave birth to her son and only child, Kermit. Two years later, she studied law under her father and husband and passed the bar exam in 1913. At about the same time, she had Bert Van Vulen divorced in 1925. She told Johnson she became a lawyer because she couldn't teach music. Van Leeuwen was briefly an assistant court attorney for Nauata County, northeast of Tulsa, then lived in Oklahoma City for a while and was generally counseled of an Osmugi Oil Company when Freeling hired her in 1920. Despite her status as a divorced single mother and professional woman, or perhaps because of it, Van Leeuwen was well-connected socially, especially with the circles of well-to-do women intending on straightening up and sobering the state. Proud, direct, and perhaps slightly jagged, Van Vulen had no patience for the influential Swiveller and thought Gulston devilish in unreliability even before the riot on May 13th, she wrote that Suving, being an old man, he was not much help, and he appeared to be feeble of blood and seemed so in mind. She appraised Gulston as a pretty smooth article. One of her informants believed had two men waylid and bumped off before he became chief. Without Wait, what? Okay. That's interesting. So he done knocked off two folks just to get his job. So without naming sources, the world on May 21st said Van Hulen had told insiders that she would drop her investigation if the city fired John Guston. At the same time, she also building dozers on Axon and fellow citizen commissioner O.A. Stern, Sterner. Sterner, Mayor, Mayor Evans' closest ally on the city commission, sold tires and other automobile parts to the city through a store he owned. Besides being Gustin's boss, Axon earned commission on the bonds he wrote for the city. Employees, some people, Van Hulen apparently among them, said this as a best of conflict or interest. But the two com- the two city commissioners did not. George Short, the other assistant attorney general involving in the race riot cases, intended to move up to the job to the top job when Freeling left after nineteen twenty two election after the nineteen twenty two election. He had been the subject of some scandal shortly before the riot when a state house of representatives committee accused Sort of improperly for representing shareholders of a private corporation while working for the state. But Freeling had ignored the complaint. 
John Goldsberry, who worked with Freeling on the Spurry Bank robbery trials, represented the county. A 50 fi at 55, he was an experienced trial lawyer with a success private practice before agreeing to become serving's chief deputy. Later, he would become U.S. attorney in Tulsa. This was the prosecution team. Within days, it became, it became building a, its case. On Sunday morning following the riot, or wherever the conjugates, congregations that lost their buildings gathered somewhere else to observe the Sabbath, no written records remain if any ever existed. We know plenty about the messages delivered from the, the pulpits of the large white churches on the city of the city. The same churches, same churches that had sheltered black refugees only a few days before. The world carried side by side front page stories on the subject that morning. The afternoon tribute regulated its coverage to a single but lengthy lengthy story inside. As the news cycle and the breaking developments near the far grabbed page one, everything from lax observations of the Sabbath to nefarious agitators were blamed for the riot, but the overarching theme, hammered home by the most moderate and sympathetic of clergymen, was summarized by Reverend C.W. Kerr. of the first Presbyterian church. The colored people must understand they started it, said Cure. The fact of the arming and coming up through the city was an outrage to the citizens of Tulsa. Kern had been a leading figure in the community for 20 years and would be another 30 until his death in 1951. He was widely admired as a kind, courageous, and fair-minded soul. White said he had not done enough to foster relationships with good Negroes, and most of the sermon dealt with what he called the growing spirit of lawlessness. But not even that beloved Dr. Kerr was immune from the prejuries of his generation and untold generations before. Kier's remark about the black forays of the courthouse being an outrage to the citizens of Tulsa, suggesting suggests that black residents of the city were not themselves real citizens of it. Bishop E. D. Musun, speaking Sunday evening at Boston Ave Methodist Church, speculated that the April visit of E. W. E. B. Deploys, the most victorious Negro man in America, he said had something to do with the riot. Vaguely, he links Du Bois to the guns and ammunition so widely rumored to have been stockpiled in Greenwood. If this is true, that our wives, our children, and the people of Tulsa were threatened with being at the mercy of armed Negroes, then the white man who got guns and went in, out in defense with it did not 
did the thing only a decent white man could have done. But it's true that somebody blurned civilization and it broke down in Tulsa. The mob spirit broke and hell was loose. Then things happened that were on a footing with what the Germans did in Belgium. What the Turks did in Armenia. What the Bolshevists what the Bolshevists did in Russia. Blame fell on white Tulsans. Musin said for paying insufficient attention to city government and by permitting pretty pillaring by black household staff and immortal in your servants quarters greenwood was one of the blackest spots in oklahoma there were all sorts of joints operating there certainly everything bad was going on there but that was little africa Whites had erred and erred badly by not keeping a tighter rein on the black neighborhoods and in letting them suppose they might aspire to something they could never achieve. There is one thing upon which I would like to make myself perfectly clear that is racial equality. There never has been and never will be such a thing. It is divine oriented. This is something that the Negroes should be told very plainly. Steps toward racial equality are the worst possible thing for the black man. There has been too much of this social equality and the low down white trashes are irresponsible. When Musun said race hater and content must die out there is no place for it and we must have cooperation for the good of both races he mostly meant that african americans should accept the status quo enforced by the f- firm parental hand of white america there may be s- there may be some of you here tonight who are members of the ku klux klan The other day, members of that organization marched down to the streets of Dallas, masked and robed, such as organized may have been justified once in the days following the Civil War, when civilization went wrong, but it was not justified here and now. Although civilization broke down in Tulsa the other day, we we are not willing to turn over to men who disguise themselves this proper this problem of modern life it is more than unsafe it is dangerous reverend l s barton pastor of boston avenue church had delivered a more contemporary message that morning the riot was not born in a day he explained you must go back of the day when it burst upon us last week. It was not an occasion, but a cause. It needed to be brought back to the people who take insufficient interest in public welfare. Right up until the present time, we have had cook joints in 
chalk joints in Tulsa. And the lower down the people, the more joints have flourished. I think you will find Negroes were dominated by people who frequent, frequent these places. With such breeding place of inquiry, it is any wonder we have a region of hijacking, burglary, and at last this riot. We must not take a mature of a Negro, even though many hundreds of them have suffered innocently. They are all too many of the so-called leaders of the Negro race who adaptably discredit the whites, the white race to our willingness to give the Negro a chance under all of the rights to American citizenship. What other nations in all human history have done so much as the white race has done for the race which but a brief half century ago emerged from slavery, a race which in slavery was a thousand times better off than the black princes who ruled their race in Africa. We tax ourselves to educate him. We help him to build churches. We are careful to keep him supplied with work at a good wage and trust him with a ballot. And we ask him, is this behavior, is this to behave himself and prove himself worth of our trust? African-American Abel said, protect members of their own race so that they knew to be lawbreakers. Instead of marching on the courthouse, he said, how much more respect would we have for the leaders of our race had they presented themselves to the authorities and asked for the privilege of meeting out their wrath on the criminals who had disgraced their race? They're saying it would be more credible to be a bloody snitch than it would to stand for the people that protected you when shit went to fire. That's not emotions. This is our corrupt system. This has been God's brand and we're cutting it short.